Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, folks. This is a, something of a surprise podcast. Um, but I couldn't turn it down, and um, and events so transpired to led me to do this. Ordinarily, right now I should be teaching in college, but um, a big part of my this is funny. A big part of my class, uh, first two classes, are uh, these sports jocks. They're like big on the on the lacrosse team, whatever, and they all went out to play some major game out in Denver. So it so happened that. I had to cancel the classes this morning for that reason, because we all know sports comes before anything else, um, even in elite colleges, and uh, therefore it gives me <clears throat> a few minutes to do some other things, and it so happened that I was uh, approached yesterday by Nissan Dax uh, to do something in honor of the bar mitzvah of his son, Manny Menachem, uh, this Shabbos, uh, and at first I was wondering, but then he wrote me something funny about how he listens to the podcast, and I can't turn that down. And so I'll share uh, an idea. Negate the Parsha Mishpatim, and you throw the whole story of the Ten Commandments, and the aftermath, as I said yesterday, the Mishpatim is, is taking place right away after the um, Ten Commandments, according to some a little before even. And uh, I just have to share this with you. Uh, because I said, tell me about the Bar Mitzvah boy. This is all in Philly. This is Nissan Dex in Philly. And uh, I mentioned before, and one of the reasons I'm going to talk about the Ten Commandments and Shabbos is because the Dex family is unusual. I think I mentioned before, uh, they're a rare family that came over here and never stopped keeping Shabbos. Most of the people, as we all know, came to America. I mean, in the 1800s, okay? And, um, you know, somewhere along the line, fell away from Shabbos. I mean, this is just the way it went. As everybody knows in America, there is exceptions in the Dax families. One of the exceptions, <clears throat> but um, but I said, tell him about the Marmitza boy, and he said, uh, when he was in the sixth grade and he took the bus to school, forty-five minutes to school, the father says we gave him a music player for the ride. But then they found out he was downloading the podcast, my podcast, and listening on the bus. Any kid that's in elementary school in the sixth grade. And he wants to download my podcast, I have to say something, okay? He also made a scene on Tehillim, which I'm also into Tehillim. <clears throat> he seems like an exceptional young man. And as the father said, Bishos, the podcast, the father says, I hope that the Bar Mitzvah boy shoulders the burdens of exceptionalism and grows up to be a life for Claudius Yisrael and never ceases to be on the path of continuous learning in the Talmud Chacham. Amen to that. How are you going to, I mean, how are you going to disagree with that? Of course we want this for the child, so... Uh, for Menachem Dax, this is a Molotov for this week's Parshish Repartum is having the Bar Mitzvah. And as they used to say when I grew up, they own like a part of it. They should have an easy time raising him. Sounds like he's raising himself, certainly in the intellectual sense. <clears throat> now, um, this is, as I say, Parshish Mishpatim, which is part of uh, the, the, the whole Ten Commandments business. I was walking my uh, co conspirator uh, and walking partner, Jonathan Marvin. Mentioned to me, uh, Psikta he saw in the in, in the Menachem Kasher, 
I just looked up about Zachar B'Shamar because uh, we have the Ten Commandments and I say the tax family is always keeping Shabbos. So Shabbos should be of interest to them. And yet we all know that Shabbos comes in two forms. One, it's mentioned in this week's uh, Pasha or last week's about the Ten Commandments in Shemos where it says Zachar is Yom HaShabbos HaKashel. And then by contrast, when you, Moshe Rabbeinu retells the story in, in Dvarim, Deuteronomy says Shomer is Yom HaShabbos. So one way to, so which is it? You know, so one way is this, there is a famous Chazal, Tzmichelter, no question about it, Zohar B'Shamer B'Dibrechad. They were said at the same time, if you prefer Shomer B'Zohar B'Dibrechad, but really it's Zohar B'Shamer B'Dibrechad. The reason you say in L'Chad Dodi Shomer B'Dibrechad, because he wanted to put his name in Shlomos, he needed a Shin, you know, uh, Shlomo Alkabetz. But Zohar B'Shamer B'Dibrechad. But the Pashim Shad isn't that way. The Pashim Shad is with Zohar, and there's another thing called Shomer. And, uh, well, you know, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu, I guess, discerned with his unique nevuah that when they said this, it also means that, or maybe he's telling it over different to the people later because he felt this necessary. That's a possibility. Uh, but there are two different points. Zohar, which is remembering, and Shomer, which is, it's hard to translate. We we use the word Shomer, Shabbos, and we use that in the context of doing malacha or not doing malacha, but Shomer means to preserve or or keep, or be, or guard, you know, it's it's a very difficult word to, to answer, to uh, translate correctly. We can all do it approximately, but, you know, correctly. <clears throat> and um, it's a very, so this led me to pull out my rusty, trusty Pesikta Rabosi, um, especially the nice one I got a couple years ago, the Zichron Aron. Uh, one of the good things they did was to put out a, a, what do you call it? A, um, uh, what he called a nice edition, Manukad, with uh, uh, for somebody obscure midrashim, especially Basikdas. And anyhow, uh, I pulled it out, and it has over here the 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 the, the uh, commentary, I guess, of uh, what he called of uh, the Fraim Zarmer Margulis and the Radal. Uh, my mother's from is Fraim Zarmer Margulis, and it's kind of cute. Uh, and I'll tell you the way I understand it. Basically, the Psikta says like this, Amr Abudin Zohar, Nasan Lugayim, Shomer Nasan Yisrael. Isn't that weird? Zohar and Shomer. So there are two different Deburim. Zohar is Yom HaShabbos, is for Umas Olam. Shomer is for Yisrael. Now what does that mean? It's a Medish Plea. He, of course, does not mean that there's no din of Zohar for Jews, that's a whole kiddish and everything, Vayichulu, you know that. So, question is, what does he mean? And Shomor, Nosson Yisrael, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and I'll tell you what, what made me think. Uh, and then I'll tell you what Fram Zarmogola says, which I thought was cute, but I don't think reflects the depths of it, in my humble opinion. Uh, Zohar, obviously, is kind of uh, intellectual. Zohar is as we said, in the Ten Commandments in 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 Yisrael, Zochz Yom Shabbos Kasho, Sheishem Tafzel Kom Latecho. You know, and because Hashem created the world and rested on the seventh day, that's a philosophical idea, or a theological one if you prefer. In other words, it's ideational. The reason you rest on Shabbos is to remember there's one God who created the whole world. So it's connected to Zohar, you might say, uh, when a Jew uh, acknowledges. Shabbos, so what he's saying is 
I subscribe to a certain version of history. You pagans have a different version of history. You scientists have a different version of history. That's okay. But I am a Jew, Orthodox Jew. I have my version of history. And in my version of history, there was nothing and then there was something. There was a Yeshma'ayin and it was a Briah and it lasted six days. Doesn't necessarily have to mean exactly six days, you know, with devolution on, but what, what, in other words, there were six days. And then, Shabbat Vayinavash. So notice the world was created by a single intelligence. If I can use that expression. Excuse me. If I can use that expression. Again, you can have your version of the past. This one can have his version of the past. This is our version of the past. That's what a Jew is saying. So you're making a theological statement, which of course is a biggie. And therefore we have, oh, whoever is Shem Shabbos is like, keep the old call Terakula. Whoever's Machal Shabbos is like, uh, you know, Kila Abodazar and all the rest of it. What that means is, if you take the idea the way we just said it, that Shabbos represents the notion of a particular narrative as opposed to other narratives. And in this narrative, Bereshit Baal Kimba says, Shemayim Arts and so on and so forth. Right? That there was hearts, 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 there was nothing. And then the world was created, you know, the way it's described. Um, then you're making, as I said before, a big statement. Shamar, of course, the heaven dvarim, is a different concept. Shamar is more spe- specific to the Jewish experience. Uh, and Shamar is Yom because you were Avodim, you know, you were Avodim, Zachar to Kevra Isabar Mitzrayim. I think I'm saying by heart. I believe that's what it says. So in other words, there Moshe Rabbeinu, interestingly in Dvarim, 40 years later, not speaking to the slaves anymore, they're all dead, but speaking to their children and grandchildren is emphasizing the national aspect. That there was a time when you guys had no days off and you worked seven days a week as slaves do. And... uh you know, you never had time off. And life was a, a, a real bummer. And then came your liberation. And as a sign of that liberation, one day a week, don't work. So that you'll remember that there was a time when you didn't have that luxury. And you were subject to constant work. And it's Hashem who saved you from that. So that's, that's a different idea. That's the idea. I was once kidnapped and somebody liberated me. I was once oppressed and somebody freed me. You get it? That's, that's not a theological statement of the creation of the world, but it's a particular one in my family. In my family, there was a time when people were beating us up and then somebody came along a hero and stopped that. So I'm very grateful for that. So that Shabbos of Shomar is a matter of gratitude. Okay, The Zohar is not a matter of gratitude. It's a matter, as they say before, philosophy, of theology, and of subscribing to a particular narrative, a particular version of history, in the absence of which you don't have Judaism. I always say Judaism is really ultimately the ultimate historical religion because it's not based on this sheet or that sheet, but on a certain version of the past. If that version of the past is correct, you were in business. If that version of the past was incorrect for whatever reason, then all the theories don't mean anything. You know, if it's not true... You know, that, uh, you know, Avram Yitzhak Yaakov Moshe Adar Shalom, if it's not true, you can give me all the Chassidus, all the Rambams, all the other stuff in the world, it's made garnished. You understand? It all depends on the, on the, uh, 
veracity of the chain of events, right? That this came here and then came that and then came that. And that's how we operate. And if you take that away, you lose your identity. I always say, I can mess you up by changing your history. You think you're so-and-so's son and daughter. Suppose I could prove to you that you were kidnapped as a baby and your parents are not really your parents and rather you're someone else, which happens from time to time. You, you, your whole Messias would shatter. <laughs> you know? You can write books and movies about this. Your entire Messias would shatter. I thought I was this, now I'm that. Remember a couple years ago, the head of the Nazi party in Hungary? And then he found that he's Jewish. And by the time it's over, he's in Chabad. I'm serious. Really. So, you know, because his, his whole past changed, so his whole present and Messias changed. Now, with that in mind, what does it mean, Zohar for the Goyim and Shammar for the Jews? Uh, which is very interesting. Now, um, listen closely to what I'm about to say. We have an idea, a rule, somebody's not Jewish can't be Shemr Shabbos. How does that work, Papayo? Did you ever think about that? Uh, suppose I was not Jewish. What does it mean? I mean, let's put it this way. I'm not smoking every minute of the day. I'm not driving a car every minute of the day. Am I a Shemr Shabbos? You get my point? It's actually interesting to try to come with a scenario of a guy Shemr Shabbos was Chayim Misa. Like, how exactly would that work? It would have to be a very well-defined uh, and, and narrow situation. For example, I would say, if I wasn't Jewish, I would say, all right, I have to go to the store, and now I'm going to drive. No, I'm consciously saying I'm not driving because today is Shabbos. So in other words, it wouldn't be an act. Shabbos. It'd be a passive. You understand? I'm not doing Bishel. I'm not doing Kriya. I'm not doing Tofer. I'm not driving a car or turning on an appliance or lighting a match because it's Shabbos. So it's kind of funny because for failing to do something, you know what I'm saying, for, for a passive thing, that's what makes a, 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 a Shabbos. Zohar is a kind of, it, it, it's different. Uh, so a guy can't do Shemr Shabbos, but a guy is Zohar Shabbos. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. I'm not saying halachically he's under the same rules as the Jews, but the whole world has to believe in Shabbos. You know what I just said? That's a basic Jewish belief. You don't have to keep Shabbos in the sense of the, the Malachas, the 39 Malachas. But we say in the Jewish religion, whether people realize it or not, that everyone in the world, regardless of whether or not they're, they're uh, members of Klai Yisrael, remember, they're formerly Jewish, everyone in the world has to believe in Shabbos. Meaning everybody in the world has to believe in our narrative that there was nothing, and then and so on and so forth. Right? Then began the six days of creation in whatever sense. The person who's not Jewish and says the world came, you know, out of nothing, it's just uh, nothing behind it, or the world was always there, Kadmas Olam, or any variation of that, right? Certainly if they subscribe to another um, tradition, you know, the world came from you know, the world came out of from a, a Chinese person or something like that, whatever. So that person, we say in Judaism, um, is violating the the the, the basic laws of being no because they have to believe in the narrative that we just said. Now I know the Shemitz don't exactly, you know, are not usually written that way, but that's true. So especially like the Rambam says, even a guy who does. Chesed and all that has to do it 
because it says in the Torah's Moshe that he keeps the Shev Mitzvah Bnei Noach. You see? Uh, that was a famous issue in the 18th century, the correspondence between Moses Mendelssohn on the one hand and Yaakov Emden on the other, uh, where Mendelssohn, who was a philosopher, said it doesn't make no sense because you're telling me Chassidim Yom should get Olam Haba. Suppose somebody was just a good person and he never heard of the Torah. He lived in Kukamanga on Tahiti, you know? But he was a very good person or she was a very good person. Why can't they get Olam Haba if they live their lives ethically and morally? They never heard of Moshe Rabbeinu. And Yaakov Endem blew him away and so forth. Uh, the Mendelssohn's writings, about 20, 30 volumes, when they had the Hebrew college, used to see his own German, get it? Because, you know, Mendelssohn knows the writing, the essays and the and the other compositions all in German. One volume with the Hebrew correspondence, a lot of Shalos and Shubas, him with the Yaakov Emden and people like that. Uh, but we say this. We say that everybody has to be Zohar is Yom HaShabbos. That doesn't mean they keep the 39 Malachas, but they, but they say, I do believe in the story that God created the world and then rested on the seventh day. However you understand the term rested, I mean, you know, obviously not in the human sense, but, but Yom HaShabbos Vayinofash. So, so to me, when I see this, this uh, psikna, and it says Zachar Nasan Lumis Olam, Shomer Nasan Yisrael, I would, me myself, and I would interpret it like this: Zachar he gave to Lumis Olam in addition to the Jews, Shomer Nasan Yisrael only to the Jews. That's my interpretation, um, which is interesting, because um, we say everybody has to acknowledge um, Shabbos. Everybody has to acknowledge Shabbos. Now, um, uh, I'm looking over here in this nice edition of the Psikta Rabasi, and has the beer uh, going to prime Zalmargulis, and he has a cute vort. In, in, it's very cute. I don't think that's what it means, but it's a very cute vort, and I'm going to share it with you. He says like this, Zachar Balahasir, Dama Umas, she was a churm, she was a churm, she was a churm, she was that is very interesting. When he says like this, Zohar means, when it says, when Rabbi Huda says, Zohar Nasan Lumas Olam, what it means is that the Gaim have to say that the Jews are obligated not to work on Shabbos. So I can't compel them to work on Shabbos. Which is kind of interesting because that's kind of what happened. And notice throughout history, uh, throughout Jewish history, when the uh, Jews found themselves living in Gullus and under the control of other people, were they required to work on Saturday? And the answer is no. Uh, the way history evolved was that the teachings of the Catholic Church were that the Jews really should be macabre in the New Testament, and they're just too stupid and blind to see that. But they do have a point in regarding themselves as bound by the Old Testament until they get smart enough to macabre the New Testament. So if I was a pope in the 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, hundreds out of I might say the Jews are bad because they're not macabre yashka and so forth. But I do say, as a Christian, that I understand why they're not working on Shabbos. Because I believe in the Old Testament, and I believe it says, you know, Shom Shabbos, and in the Ten Commandments it says, and don't do any work. 
And so I understand why the Jews are doing it. I'm not bound by that because I'm a Christian. But I hear that it applies to Jews. And therefore, I would say it's not proper to compel a Jew to violate his own day of Sabbath. That's just interesting. Um, similar with the Muslims. They have their tinies on the Jews. Oh, big time. And so on and so forth. But a Muslim ruler would say, I understand why the Jews, because what it says in their Torah, I do understand why the Jews don't work on Shabbos. It's not right for me to make them work on their on their day. And it's interesting to me and sad. And I was thinking this in the context of Dak's family, the Bar Mitzvah boy. It's interesting that throughout history, until recently, when things changed, until recently, when the Jews lived as they did for thousands of years, under the Christians and under the Muslims, right? Certainly for a thousand years and fifteen hundred years, whatever. Um, they had their problems and so forth, you know, persecutions, but they were not required by their rulers to work on Shabbos. Because the rulers acknowledged what it says in this Sikta, which is Zakharullah Like a Frame Zarmagola says. You know? Notice we understand that the Ten Commandments that the Jews feel bound by, because God told it to them, we acknowledge that. Um says you don't work on Shabbos. It does, you know, work on Shabbos. When did this change? <laughs> when did it happen that they started making Jews work on Shabbos? And the answer is in the modern era with the rise of capitalism. They didn't make them work on Shabbos in the sense that I'll beat you up or 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 shecht you if you don't work on Shabbos. But the modern capitalism, which money is the god, the golden calf, money is everything. There they used to say. If you don't come on Saturday, like in America, I just told you before, most families came and ended up being Michal Shabbos. You know, like I know. And the reason is because they would get off the boat, they would try to find a job in New York or, or Chicago or wherever it is, and the boss said, if you don't come to work on Saturday, then you're fired. And we all know many stories, and not only in America, in other countries as well. It's the, 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 the Christian God didn't say it. The Muslim God didn't say it. But the God of money says you don't work on you don't come to work on, on Saturday, you don't come to work on a Jewish holiday, you don't come to work on Pesach and all this kind of stuff, then you're gonna get fired or get hurt. Um this has been the modern Jewish experience, which is just very interesting. You understand? And it took down a lot of people. Because so many people, as we all know, ended up in the modern era unwillingly working on Shabbos and crying while they did so. There are many stories I'm sure you've heard in New York and elsewhere. People went to work. I mean, I heard Rabbi Alfred say here in Baltimore, his family's from a or some that, you know, you go back years ago, long, long ago, they're from Jews. They had to work on Shabbos morning. I say again, they had to work on Shabbos morning and they, they davened early and they were crying over their bitter fate. Uh, but they did it. Crying bitter fate and they did it. Now, today, we have a different economy and a different market. That's one of the reasons why. Jews who really cared about Shabbos, uh, you know, really had to maneuver, try to find jobs where it might be possible in the modern economy to keep Shabbos. Classic case would be, you have your own business, your own store, all the rest of it. But I'll tell you again, the God of capitalism is an all-powerful, <laughs> all-consuming, so I myself know people that um, I'm old enough to remember, uh, it's a little before my time, that... Uh, you know, the guy started a grocery store, 
Um, and that way you're your own boss, nobody else bossy around. And you can close on Shabbos, but you want to know something? The the money uh, schlepped them into open, keeping the store open on Shabbos. The money schlepped them into keeping the store on Shabbos. It happened many, I mean, uh, you know, I don't remember, but I, more than once, <laughs> quite a number of times. There was families that they were showing Shabbos, and then all of a sudden the store was open on Shabbos. Or the business was open on Saturday. And it was a, uh, uh, uh. And it's tough. It's tough. Um, I met somebody once. Who was it? Maybe in, uh, was it Mr. Ganell in, in Seattle or whatever? Somebody told me his father did what like I said, you know, opened his own business. Uh, wholesaler, by the way. That way you didn't have the temptation I just told you for. And he had a, uh, I, I think I have the story right. And he had a friend who was not Jewish, a real good friend. And the guy said, let's open a retail store. And he said, I don't want to do it. And the guy said, I'll run the store. In other words, you tell me whatever, you, you go to the rabbi and tell me whatever you need to do to make the business work. There are ways of, it's an you know, there are ways of dividing the profits and so forth and the ownership in such a way that the non-Jewish partner could run the store on Shabbos. And in this case, it would be literally Mamish, a non-Jewish partner. No, these were two guys who were very good friends. One of them was an Orthodox Jew up there in Seattle, I think it was. And the other guy was was not Jewish, so it was totally fine. So it was Masolam like the Psikta says. And uh, the guy turned him down because he said, I don't want to be sitting in Shoal on Shabbos morning and thinking what's happening in my store. Because that's what's going to happen. The money, money, money takes over and schleps you as Mosheikh. And next thing you know, you're not riding the golden calf. The golden calf is riding you. So it takes, but that's the story I just told you is unusual. Okay. Many people didn't act that way. And therefore, you had Zachar and Shammar. Now, it's also possible that's one of the two Medish Pleas. The other one. It goes like, they're back-to-back. Back. No, here I'm going to read you a passage from the Psik de Rabosi. Am Rab Yudin, and it's, a, it's, it's on the, um, in the Pasha Chav Kimmel, if you're interested. Am Rab Yudin, Zachar Nason Lumas Olam, Shamar Nason Lisrael. Am Rab Ibo, same, um, no, it's not the same Mandar, it's a different Girsa. Am Rab Ibo, Zachar Nason Liyarde Hayam, She'enam Nosim Im Be'isr Heimataltlin, Be'mehetim Heimataltlin, Shamar Nason Yeshabashah. That's even a more remarkable marriage. Zachar applies to sailors. Uh, Shomer applies to people who are not sailors, who are on dry land. What does that mean? Now, I know what it means to me, but I see the Radal rejects it. Uh, to me, it says that there were Jews who were sailors, right? Agree? Agree? Uh, it's not us or to become a sailor. I mean, a merchant sailor. Jews always have done that. I'm not referring to the businessman that's going on a boat. I'm talking about the sailors who run the ship. Think about what I'm about to tell you. You can't run a ship and be Shomer Shabbos in the regular sense. Because there's stuff you got to do on the ship to make, you know, with the sails and I don't know, this and that and the other. Uh, and schlepping the water in and out. You know, it is what it is. Uh, so a person who's going to go on the ship is not going to be really able to be a Shomer Shabbos in the full sense. Uh, again, Zachar Nasan Liyarde Hayom. Zachar is for the sailors. She'enam Yodim in Be'isr Heimatatlin in Behetter Matatlin. They don't know whether they're carrying Be'isr or Behetter. So to me, that means that um, 
a sailor does, you know, is, is got to do what he's got to do to keep the ship going. And uh, and they're ignorant, usually. And they don't know whether they're doing the right thing or not on Shabbos as a class of people. And consequently, they weren't Shomer Shabbos. They're only Zohar Shabbos. They're from Jews in the sense they're not Reform or Conservative. It's not like you don't believe in the story of the, of the creation. But, you know, they, ha- they have a kind of profession that um, that makes them end up in a situation where, you know, you can't really be a Shomer Shabbos. Which we would say today, that's not a good job for a Jewish boy. Um, but people did what they did for Farnoso. The Radal, you know, the famous double Luria, he disagrees and he says the following, which again is, is I don't know. He says, when you get on a ship, you can forget which day is Saturday. I don't know. Uh, so that's the way he sees it. That, you know, you go on a ship, you a long journey. And, you know, you forget the track of the days. And there are halachas, as I'm sure you know, that when you lose track of the time, you start counting seven days and you keep the seventh day. But it ain't the regular Shabbos way, you know. Uh, and Shomer would apply to people in dry land who have, have been in there. Either way, uh, either way, you see the, the distinction between Zohar on the one hand and Shomer on the other. And the universal concept, which is Zohar is we say, and we Jews believe, that everybody should acknowledge Shabbos. They don't have to keep it, but they shouldn't get in my way if I want to be a Shomer Shabbos. Now, it's easier said than done. You know? Now, because of America, the anti-discrimination laws, so based on that, you can probably arrange it that, you, you know, that they can't hurt you when you keep Shabbos. But uh, there are many situations people find themselves where that's not true. And there are many situations, especially, you know, taking college tests and various exams. One of the things I do, I just did last night, is I always got to write letters. You know, clergy people have to write letters for the, uh, I think they say this person is a Sabbath observer and, and all the rest of it. Uh, but I would say that in the modern America, at least, and I'm in modern America, the Bar Mitzvah families in modern America, uh, it's easier to keep Shabbos now than it, than it was once. Uh, therefore, the emphasis should be on upgrading the Shmir. I don't think the Zohar is such a problem, but the, shmir, the Shomer. And uh, we're living in a time where I think there is a kind of an upgrade in the Shmir Shabbos simply because uh, of the literature available. Uh, there are books now, Hilcha Shabbos, that weren't around you know, when I was a kid. And uh, it's all in English now. In fact, you can Google anything. And uh, the person that really cares for, uh, you know, keep Shabbos correctly, especially a bar mitzvah boy is going to be growing up in a new world, not like I grew up in. I mean, the internet has just created a new reality. You can find all the little halachas of the Mishnah Bur or anybody else, they probably, uh, if you know how to do it, I don't know how to do it, at the at the touch of a finger. Uh, so this creates an increasingly uh, powerful um, pressure to do Shabbos correctly, to do Shabbos correctly. So, just with that thought, uh, I want to wish the family a mazel tov. It's a, obviously a big occasion. And as he said, the boy grew up to be a big Talmud Chacham, making the best use of the new technology today uh, that wasn't around for us all timers. We had to learn to read books the old-fashioned hard way. Uh, once again, I want to wish uh, <coughs> that family a big mazel tov. And uh, I wish everybody a good job.
For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.